What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, Going to be doing three podcasts this week, and this is the pre-deadline podcast where we're talking about potential deals. And no, I'm not going to talk about potential deals. The Nuggets, if they do anything, it's going to be so minor that you, it's going to defy uh, all all of your comprehension of what little is, if they do anything. Um, don't listen to Michael Malone, by the way. Michael Malone probably doesn't know shit about what the Nuggets are planning. Um, he is saying that the Nuggets are not going to do anything, which is you know probably just a reading the tea leaves thing, but I doubt that Malone is going to be intensely uh, consulted if the Nuggets make a deal. Um, what we're seeing right, right now is the, as I pointed out in the last podcast, the Nuggets didn't have what I would call a great amount of flexibility to do anything. Um, their, their, their big kind of tr- guy signed for trade chip is Zignaji, and Zignaji has been certifiably awful this year. And he can't get minutes in front of DeAndre Jordan. He hasn't been able to put out there any on any sort of quote-unquote, it's not tape anymore, but film or whatever. Um anything he can do for another team. So it's like the Nuggets have basically one asset and they don't want to give up Reggie Jackson, um, who's also on a $5 million deal. And there's also the, obviously the second apron thing looming for when they eventually sign Jamal to an extension, whatever that will be. So, and that'll be this next off season, maybe. So the Nuggets are in a position to where they don't have a ton of flexibility and the la- that lack of flexibility um, is going to be playing into what they're going to be doing. I don't I don't necessarily see any huge buyout candidates coming down the pipe. So this is really truly going to be because of the actions they had in the off this last off season where they went all in on youth. Um, the Nuggets are kind of where are where they are. So basically, what we're going to need to see the Nuggets do um, for this season is the whole quote unquote internal development thing, which is a giant load of crap, but it is kind of true in this sense. Um, so the nuggets are kind of are where they are. Um, they're satisfied with their starting lineup and the bench units probably weaker than it was last year. Um, depending on how much you believe in Peyton Watson, but this kind of is what it is. I don't see the Nuggets really doing any quote-unquote moves until this next offseason, and this is the course that the Nuggets told told us they were going to take prior to this season starting, okay? Um, The Nuggets told us exactly what they were going to do. Now, they could surprise me and do a deal um, right now, but I've heard nothing, absolutely nothing coming from the Nuggets or any other sources that I have in the league about anything the Nuggets are attempting to do. They, of course, would like a, either a backup guard or, or you know, a backup big, but there's like, join the join the club. I mean, how many teams in the NBA are wanting the same thing? Plus, uh, deadline deals are always, as I pointed out in the last podcast, dead, deadline deals are always one of those. <laughs> it's better to do something in the offseason because you get an entire season of development, and not development, but you get an entire season of playing with each other in order to build up that chemistry that you need to get into the playoffs. One of the things the Nuggets have over most of the teams in the league is that they've played together for a very long time, at least the starting unit has, since 2021 when the Aaron Gordon trade happened. And I'm going to talk about that in just a sec. And um, 
since that chemistry has been allowed to build, the Nuggets are in a catbird seat uh, kind of position as far as adding to their roster, something Calvin Booth has benefited from, from when Connolly did most of the starting lineup uh, by himself by the time you get to 2021. So this this Nuggets team is used to playing with each other, and um, any sort as you saw with Reggie Jackson last year, um, it's hard to break into that kind of thing because you you have to get a rhythm with playing with Jokic. And as we've seen, most play people in the NBA do not have a really good feel about what it's like to play with Nikola Jokic because they're used to guard dominant offenses with tons of pick and roll. Um, with Jokic is a lot different. They play some triangle, they play other kinds of things where Jokic just basically dictates the play and he's a big, so he is not doing the roll to the rim kind of thing that the NBA became uh, in the late 2000s into the early 2010s. So that sort of thing is not part of it and most people in different NBA teams are used to that sort of thing. So obviously that sort of thing is, 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 also a gamble. So buyout market, you know, you never know. And it's, it's, it's better obviously to stick with what you know, which is what the nuggets are currently at right now. I'm not, I'm not certain it is, is as good as last year. Um, we've kind of dismissed the departure of Bruce Brown, but Bruce Brown, uh, was a huge part of that, that team last year. And a lot of it had to do with his attitude. Um, and, the Nuggets don't necessarily have that bulldog mentality that uh, Bruce Brown had. And so I think part of that is is included in this package. Um, who knows what the Nuggets will end up being in this postseason. But they're, they're, don't, it's, uh, the point I'm making is I don't see anything for the Nuggets kind of shaping up here. So I was thinking about the Aaron Gordon trade. And the Aaron Gordon trade really was the final piece of this thing. And it's really, KCP coming in. As I pointed out before, K- KCP would have been on a, in a Nuggets uniform whether Tim Connolly was here or uh, Calvin Booth was here. This was something that it, it was it was just natural. It was going to happen. This isn't a situation where there was a deviation of philosophy with having KCP here, uh, Will Barton notwithstanding. And but the starting lineup, most of it was solidified by the time you get the Aaron Gordon trade in 2021. Um, and at the deadline of 2021, it really was kind of a maker, well, I wouldn't say make or break, but that was, that was one of those deals coming after the departure of Jeremy Grant, which, which was the pre Aaron Gordon kind of Aaron Gordon thing. Um, obviously, you know, Jeremy Grant comes in and in two, in the offseason two, 2019, and ostensibly he is the guy that is going to be the 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 Aaron Gordon type. Well, he surprised the Nuggets by opting to go to Detroit for the same money that Nuggets were offering him, indicating that he just wasn't happy with his role. Probably wasn't seeing I am with Malone. Uh, there was a bunch of things happening at the same time. Um, so the Nuggets had to rejigger. And a lot of that had to do with Michael Porter Jr., his emergence, and the Nuggets' commitment to Michael Porter Jr., which was set in stone. And I think Jeremy Grant wanted to have the MPJ kind of commitment to him, particularly on offense. As I've pointed out many, 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 many times before, if you follow me on Twitter, if you have listened to this podcast, if you've even seen any of my writings, 
the Nuggets liked Aaron Gordon going all the way back to when Aaron Gordon was drafted. Um, if the Nuggets were in a position to draft him at the, I think he was drafted number four in 2014. Uh, if they were at that position to draft him, they would have drafted him. Uh, that the Nuggets loved what he did, particularly on defense. And one of the things that Gordon has provided to this team is that thing that Tim Connolly saw all the way back when he was coming out of Arizona. And it was this very specific, intangible thing that works well with the team. The problem Aaron Gordon had in Orlando was he was he, they were trying to make him into something that was about four or five times greater than what he is. Aaron Gordon is a good really good player who um, is kind of like the glue. He is really, truly the glue guy of the Denver Nuggets. And because he does a little of everything and he fits so well with different, I mean, back when the Nuggets were, you know, when he came out, it was, the the Nuggets were still, still had, uh, I think that was uh, 2014, 15. So this would have been Shaw's last year. Um, or half a year. So you would have had JJ Hickson on the roster. You would have had, uh, Gallo was still here. Um, Ty Lawson was still here. Um, so it would have been that kind of team. This was pre, obviously, I mean, Nurkic was drafted that off season and stuff like that. So obviously that those factors would have been completely different as, as, as then there was a different team. This wasn't a Jokic team, even though the Nuggets drafted Jokic in that very same draft, the Nuggets pounced when it was very clear that, uh, the situation in Orlando needed to change. I'll never forget at the end, the Nuggets played the, the magic right before the deadline. I do mean right before the deadline. And this is the year after Cove, after the bubble year. So there was limited crowds. Uh, the Nuggets were in Orlando right after the buzzer. Mike, my MPJ goes right up to Aaron Gordon and they have a long, intense conversation after the buzzer and the camera kind of caught them talking and I remember turning to my dad at the time and saying, like, I think they're going to trade for Aaron Gordon. I just kind of knew it because there was some rumors, but there wasn't any, anything substantial. It's not the way Tim Connolly worked. And uh, lo and behold, couple, I think, uh, you know, right at the deadline, they trade for Aaron Gordon, um, trading Gary Harris and uh, RJ Hampton, who had shown some promise um, coming into uh, that deadline. And the Nuggets were traded a the the beloved by fans Gary Harris and uh, R.J. Hampton and a first round draft pick for Aaron Gordon. Let me state this unequivocally: that is the best trade of the Connolly era and the best, uh, the by far the best trade of the Connolly era um, over the Mason Plumlee deal. Uh, over the Jeremy Grant, getting Jeremy Grant in, two, in 2019. This was truly the master stroke. Other than drafting Nikola Jokic and drafting Jamal Murray and drafting uh, Michael Porter Jr. Of, of a basketball deal, of something that's not de requiring development, this was by far the best thing the Nuggets did in Tim Connolly's time and in the Nikola Jokic era. Actually, I think the best thing the, the, the Nuggets did in the, uh, the Conley era to start with was to readjust after the Shaw era um, and uh, changing the culture 
But this was number two. This was this this was not number two. This is number one. Um, this was certainly a masterstroke by Tim Connolly that needs to be appreciated more by Denver Nuggets fans. I'll be honest with you. Um, what Connolly did in identifying and getting Aaron Gordon was nothing sh- short of perfect for this team. He's been perfect with Nikola Jokic. He has been the the secret sauce that this team has needed in order to get them to a place that they weren't able to go before. And we saw those eight games before Jamal Murray uh, tore his ACL in 2021. We saw those eight games and how good the Nuggets were. It stunned the NBA. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, stunned the league how good the Nuggets were. And there was that national TV game against the Clippers where I think the Nuggets were just proving themselves in live and living color to the nation. Um, and I think that's that thing stunned the league. And I believe that deadline deals can be beneficial if you have the perfect fit. Nine times out of ten, there's not a perfect fit. Look at the Phoenix Suns last year. I mean, they were they were still kind of they won some games at the end of the year. They won mostly against weaker opponents. Uh, they paid the Nuggets twice, and the Nuggets had rested almost all their starters in both of the games they played against the Nuggets. You couldn't really tell anything, and then the Nuggets, you know, beat them in the second round. It takes a while to develop that sort of thing unless the fit is perfect. There's no deal with out there right now. But Tim Conley identifying how perfect Aaron Gordon would be with this roster is one of the, maybe the move, uh, trade move of the Conley era. And it needs to be appreciated more. All right, when we come back on the other side of the break, I'm going to talk to you about Clay Thompson, what he's going through right now, and how in getting players to accept that they are no longer immortal is one of the biggest challenges a coach could face in the league. We'll get to that right after the break. It's uh, it's it's been a process. It's been it's been it's been a uh, difficult time for Clay Thompson to accept that he is no longer the Clay Thompson of old. And this is hap- this happens across the the board in in the league. This is one of the things that is probably the most challenging of of any sort of task that you have to get a player to accept he is not that guy anymore. And I think that it's playing out in living color with Clay Thompson and Golden State. Uh, he has not started a couple games. He has not, excuse me, he has not closed a couple games. And um, he has struggled with this. And you don't expect him to accept it with a plum. Because it means a lot of different things when you get that kind of thing happening to you. Especially considering that this next year, this 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 is Clay's last year on his deal. And you've heard nothing, absolutely nothing, about a new deal coming up. There are a lot of different things that Clay Thompson is, is facing right now that happens. I mean, I've talked about it before on this podcast. What Mello went through in 2017 and 18, what... Uh, Allen Iverson went through in 2008, 
what, what he went, what these guys went through was uh, star players who were very good at their game, excellent at games, thrived at what they did, and were invaluable and essential to their teams. What what they face is that I am not that guy anymore, and for different circumstances. Um, as we all know with uh, Allen Iverson, in uh, early in training camp of, of 2008, the Nuggets saw that uh, Iverson had slowed down, had lost a step very dramatically. And the Nuggets had just won 50 games the previous offseason and were swept by the Lakers. And then the Nuggets made some moves let Camby go for a trade exception, um, got under the under the salary cap and under, under the tax, excuse me. And it was assumed that the Nuggets were going to just kind of like be a mediocre team going into that year. And the the team of Brett Barrett, Mark Workentine, and Rex Chapman had seen, and primarily uh, Mark Workentine, had seen the, the decline of Allen Iverson. And it was very dramatic coming into camp. So three games into this season, the Nuggets traded him for Chauncey Billups and the rest is history. And then you saw what happened with Allen Iverson in Detroit, Memphis, and coming back to Philadelphia, is that the decline was so unbelievable, he couldn't accept it. He couldn't accept it at all. The, the, he couldn't accept that he wasn't the same player. And struggled with the idea of coming off the bench. Um, struggled with the idea of being a, merely a role player. Same thing with Carmelo Anthony. Now, the difference between Melo and uh, Allen Iverson was at Melo took a year off after he didn't get off, after, after he basically couldn't, they, they wouldn't play him in, in Houston. And after he was basically routinely benched uh, and uh was the weak link of the big three in Oklahoma City in 2017-18. He had to take a year off to kind of understand that he wasn't that guy anymore. And to Melo's credit, he came back, came off the bench uh, in Portland and kind of revived his standing because he was heading to a dark, dark place. Carmelo Anthony was. When he came back... Uh, with the Blazers, and then he had one kind of ineffectual year with the Lakers. He kind of revived himself, and then obviously he he retired. Carmelo Anthony wasn't the same Carmelo Anthony. Um, even his last year with the Knicks, he wasn't the same Carmelo Anthony. Um, Melo had, by that point, slowed down considerably, and he couldn't score with the ease that he could before. And it took Mello taking a year away from the game to under, to compute that himself. And players, when they see this and they see coaches not letting them end games, when they and especially with then Clay Thompson's uh, case, where Clay, where Steve Kerr is putting a rookie, a guy who came from the G League, in the closing lineup ahead of him, and. That sort of thing is jarring and a very big slap to the face. 
And Clay Thompson, in his comments, is searching to find the... He's, he's struggling to find it. What has happened with Clay was I don't think his tra trajectory would be the same if he hadn't suffered the injuries he did in 2019 and subsequently 2020. Um, if those things didn't happen, um, Clay would be in a much different place than he is right now. And that's one of the differences between Clay Thompson and a lot of different players is that Clay Clay's directly attributable to injuries that weren't his fault. And uh, you could say Bill Walton suffered from this, and it took Walton years to accept that he is no longer a star, despite having injury after injury with his ankles and all this stuff. And could, but by the time he gets to the Celtics in 1985-86, he is basically the key ingredient that made the Celtics one of the best teams in basketball ever. That 86 Celtics team is largely regarded as one of the best basketball teams ever assembled. And it took him a while to get to a point to where he was going to be able to be in a mental place to accept that he isn't the guy that won the MVP in 1978 and won the title in 1977. Injuries do that. I mean, on the Nuggets, uh, I don't recall anyone struggling like that to cut to accept based on injury, like Clay. Um, the closest we've come is Iverson. Um, obviously, we've had many players who've suffered catastrophic injuries. Uh, two in the '90s, uh, well, not in the '90s, but uh, Lafonso Ellis in '94 and uh, Antonio McDyess in 2001. Neither of those guys had a hard time accepting who they were post-injury. Um, it, 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 is, it, is, it is one of those things that I, I think the closest we've probably come is Dan Issel in 1984-85. Um, he really, really struggled with coming off the bench. And uh, that's what was happening in that uh, year. It was the only year as, his, as a professional coming from 1970 that he ever had come off the bench. And... Uh, he really, really struggled with that. But Issel, by that point, was, you know, he probably could have played longer. But that was his 15th year, and he announced that he was going to retire. And by the end of the year, Issel was starting again, and in the playoffs, he was starting. Um, and the Nuggets made the Western Conference Finals that year. So that's probably the closest we have come to this sort of scenario. But it happens all over sports, and it happens more often than we think, you know, your brain doesn't think that you are where you are physically. It takes a while mentally to catch up to where you are physically sometimes. And then and sometimes when you, when, when you start the league, um, it takes you longer mentally to catch up, you know, you know, you take, you start in the league and physically you're ahead of where you are mentally. Um, <clears throat> In the end of your career, you are mentally ahead, but you're physically, you've broken down, right? So this is a, this is, this is a battle of your body and mind. And that's what Clay Thompson is going through right now. He is really struggling with the, the concept of his physical body not being able to do what he used to do. It has affected his shooting. You can tell that Clay Thompson doesn't have the lift that he used to have. 
Um, and you could tell he's not speedy enough anymore to defend like he used to. And which is what kind of made Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson. He was unique in that way is that he was a guy who was, he was playing a two guard at six foot six, six foot seven, who was able to guard a lot of your best players. Um, and that clearly is not Clay Thompson anymore. Clay Thompson is, if he's not hitting shots, he's not giving you what Clay Thompson used to give you. And that has kind of crippled the Warriors. The Warriors are no longer the lethal offensive team that they used to be. There can't be a death lineup anymore because Clay Thompson is diminished physically. Uh, Draymond Green is uh, relatively a facsimile of who Draymond Green used to be, but he's not. He's not peak Draymond in 2015, 16. You know, right around there. Um, there, there are many things going on with the Warriors, but the primary thing is Clay Thompson, and obviously, then Andrew Wiggins is had one brief blip of a, of a, of a year, but he has regressed to who he was always been uh, going back to Minnesota. So, um, there's a lot of things going on with the, with the Warriors, but to be honest with you, the clay is probably among those. That's the, the biggest issue. Also think about this folks. Uh, Steph Curry's 35 and he runs a lot. He comes off a lot of screens He's not as shifty as he used to be. And that's just not, I mean, I mean, Steph Curry was drafted in 2009. Uh, DeAndre Jordan was drafted in 2008. I mean, he is up there in age with both of those guys. Not as old as LeBron, but LeBron is the only person from his draft left now that Udonis Haslam is gone. Haslam is gone. So truly, this is, this is unique. Clay Thompson was drafted in 2011 and he has done the absolutely he was the, the the Warriors don't win these titles without having Clay Thompson there. And it's now a struggle for him to accept where he is in his career due to injury and it's kind of sad to see. It's really sad to see. And uh, I'm hoping that uh this doesn't have a really sad end and in Golden State because I think I think Clay deserves probably better than a messy ending. But sometimes it doesn't end the way you think it's going to. So Alright folks, thank you all for joining me on the latest more cast. I'll be back on Friday with a uh, trade deadline recap. See you later. Bye.